Good morning. It's good to see you as we continue our study of prayer. Before we look at the prayer, I do want to add my word of invitation to the marriage conference this weekend. I know some of you are going, I've never heard of this guy, Brian Chappell. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. I've known Brian for, for a number of years. His book, Unlimited Grace, is uh, one of the books that we actually require all of our staff members to read. That's how highly I think of that book, of Unlimited Grace. His book on preaching is a standard text in seminaries around the world. It is, uh, it is just probably the standard text on preaching for people today. His book on holiness by grace, I think, is one of the best books on how to grow in the Christian life. And so here's a man who I believe has great, great content for us. And he and his wife, Kathy, have written uh, this book on marriage called Each for the Other. Trisha and I read it a number of years ago. I believe it is very, very helpful. I believe this conference is something that can help you in your marriage. And I just think marriage is one of those areas all of us need help in growing in. And so uh, we're planning to be there. We're very much looking forward to it. And uh, uh, Trisha and I have been married 33 years and uh, think, think there might be a little room for improvement on my part. And so um, uh, we're gonna go and come and learn and grow. And I hope you will do that with us. It is certainly gonna be worth your time. And I think you'll benefit from it. Well, we're continuing our study of prayer, Daniel chapter nine. And uh, just thinking about this whole issue of prayer and does our prayer, do our prayers really matter? Uh, I heard a story about this woman named Alex and she went for a job interview. The interview went very well, uh, but she was not offered the job. They decided they needed someone with a bit more experience, but she and the interviewer really connected and the interviewer said, if something else comes open, do you mind if I give you a call because I think you would fit in well here? And so three months later, Alex received a call back from this company for a different job. But when she arrived this time, she felt like something was a bit off. The, the interviewer did not seem engaged. She was not friendly. Uh, she didn't ask any questions. She did not make eye contact. And throughout the interview, the interviewer kept looking at her watch. The interview only lasted 26 minutes. The whole process, she was gone. By the time she got home, she already had an email waiting for her that said, thanks, but no thanks. And she wondered what went so wrong. And talking to some others, they figured out here's what had happened, that the company already had a candidate they wanted to hire. But you needed to interview at least three or four other candidates in order to make it show that you've gone through your due process. And so she was one of the three or four other candidates they called to interview so that they could say they've interviewed somebody else even though they've decided already who they were going to hire. Some of you have probably had that experience. You've gone for an interview and you found out that, that it was already predetermined, someone else had the job, but you're there anyway, or you put in a bid for a contract and they've already decided to go to another contractor, but you know you have to get three bids, so you're one of the bids they're going to reject. The outcome is predetermined, it's already been decided, and you've gone through all of this work and you're thinking, why did I bother? This is such a waste of time if the outcome has already been decided, why did I have to do anything? Have you ever felt that way about prayer? You know, God already knows everything, right? He already knows the future from the beginning. He knows what is going to happen. He knows what is best is going to happen. Before you pray, he already knows what he's going to do, doesn't he? And so if that's true, then then why bother to pray? If, if, if God is omniscient and he already knows what he is going to do, he already knows the outcome, he's already set up his mind, then is prayer a waste of time? 
Why do we bother to pray? Well, that question actually comes up here in the book of Daniel. And you may have even noticed it as we read those first three verses. Uh, The question is, uh, why do we bother to pray if God already knows? Well, as we look at Daniel's uh, prayer here, I wish we could look at the whole thing. We don't have time, but we're going to look around the edges of this prayer. We find reasons why we should pray even when God already knows. And the first reason we should pray is that prayer at its core is relational. That is prayer, you know, we think of prayer sometimes as as being transactional by that. Uh, We think of it as uh, we're conducting business with the Almighty. We are are here, we're doing certain things to procure blessings from the divine. And, uh, And so we look at it as a transaction. I do this in order to get him to do that. But at its core, we find that prayer is actually a relational activity. It is relational engagement. It is a a relationship between God and the people he loves. Now, to understand this, we have to understand the context here in Daniel. In the year 605 BC, the nation of Judah, which is where Daniel is from, is invaded by the Babylonian empire. And and when uh, uh, the empire, Nebuchadnezzar, invades the land, He takes the treasures out of Israel, out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, the temple, and he takes them back and puts them in the temples of his God and as a symbol that the gods of Babylon were mightier than the gods of of the God of Israel. And not only did he take treasures from the temple in Jerusalem, but he also took the best and the brightest from Jerusalem as well. And among those was Daniel. And of course, you remember his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they went off to, uh, to their to captivity. Well, Nebuchadnezzar later destroyed in the year 586, destroys the city of Jerusalem. It is left in ruins, and uh, most of the people, the people of any health or well-being, are taken off into captivity. And so Daniel's lived most of his life there in Babylon in captivity. He is now an old man. Uh, He has been there for over 60 years. And uh, and the Babylonian Empire has been conquered by the Persian Empire. And his homeland of Israel, of Judah and Jerusalem, still lies in ruins. And his fellow countrymen are still in exile. And uh, there's no sign that it's ever going to change. It seems like the country and the people of Judah, the Jews, have now been wiped out essentially to be assimilated into other other lands. And uh, the so-called people of God are now destined to become a footnote in history. Well, uh, you might ask why God allowed all that to happen. Why did God allow his people to be destroyed? And the answer is they brought this on themselves. Uh, God was in a, a relationship with the Jews. It was a, a covenant relationship. And a, a covenant is, is like a contract uh, in this way. A, co- a covenant uh, says, uh, has certain stipulations. You do this, I do this. If you keep the stipulations of the covenant, you get these blessings. If you violate the stipulations of the covenant, you get these curses. And so, you know, think of it this way. If I were to, uh, to buy a car from you, And let's say I didn't have enough money to buy the car outright. And so we'd have stipulations in the covenant. And that would say that I would pay you $200 a month. As long as I pay those $200 a month, I get the blessings of the covenant. And the blessing of the covenant is I get to drive the car, it's my car, and you leave me alone. If I don't make the $200 a month payment, then the curses of the covenant come into play. 
And that means you can find me. Uh, you can uh, uh, you know, charge me extra interest on the loan. And you can even potentially repossess the car if I violate the stipulations of the covenant. Well, the nation of the Jews, the Israel, were in a covenant relationship with God. But unlike uh, just a business contract, it was relational. It's more like a marriage. You know, in a marriage, you enter a covenant, but it's not just transactional. It, it's, it's a relationship where you say, uh, I will love you. I'll be faithful to you till death do us part. Well, God said this to Israel, I will be your God and you'll be my people and I'll bless you and I'll care for you and I'll protect you, but you're to be faithful to me. But Israel committed spiritual adultery on God. Israel cheated on God and committed adultery with the the gods of the nations around them. And because of that, the curses of the covenant came upon them. And Israel and Jews were taken into captivity. They're scattered among the nations. And and now they are, are experiencing the brokenness of the covenant. So here we get to Daniel. The beginning of this chapter, Daniel's an old man. And he's reading the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet because what a prophet did in those days, by the way, a prophet didn't just foretell the future. That was not their primary job. A prophet was what might be known as a covenant prosecutor. A prophet would say, here's the covenant. Here are the stipulations. You haven't kept the stipulations. Therefore, the curses are going to come on you. And so Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, writes about the destruction that's going to come on Jerusalem. Daniel had lived through all of that. And he's reading through this, and it's breaking his heart to see what God has done to them because of what they have done to God. But as he's reading through Jeremiah, he notices something here. There's this ray of hope. That God says, and it says there in verse 3, that Daniel determined from reading Jeremiah that after Israel had been in exile for 70 years, that God would then restore them. Now think about this. Daniel has been there for over 60 years. And so that means that Israel, the Jerusalem, is now about to experience its restoration. So, so he begins to pray for its restoration. And so here's the question. Uh, you know, we didn't read the entire prayer. Uh, you know, one of the questions we have is if, if God's promised the restoration, why does he pray? But as you read through the prayer, you begin to see the nature of prayer. Daniel doesn't simply pray for the restoration of Israel. In fact, for most of the prayer, what we see is he's confessing the sins of Israel. He's confessing the sins of the Jews. He, he doesn't merely want relief for their suffering, but he longs to see Israel's loving relationship restored. It's the, it's the pleading of an adulterous wife longing for the embrace of her husband. So most of the prayer, Daniel doesn't pray for anything. He doesn't ask anything, he simply confesses. But even here, so though Daniel acknowledges that God did the right thing in punishing Israel by sending them into exile, he still pleads with God to take them back. Look at verse 18. He says, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that has been called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Notice what Daniel's doing. He's he's hearing that the, the exile is about to end and he's pleading with God and saying, Lord, what I long for most of all is to be restored to you. 
I want that loving relationship between you and your people restored. And he pleads with God, not on the basis of anything he has done or they will do or or any of this sort. He says, Lord, we are your people. Here's what he's saying to God. He says, God, remember, we're your bride. We're, we're, We're the one you love. We're the one you married and you cherished. And so, Lord, because we are your people, because Jerusalem is your city, it bears your name, rescue us. And then he goes on to say that he doesn't just simply say because we're your people. He does not appeal to God on the basis of their worthiness, but he pleads to God on the basis of God's own mercy. See, God does not hear our prayers because we are good, but because he is merciful. We cannot come to God on the basis of our righteousness or our goodness or anything that we might do, but we come to God based solely on his mercy and his faithfulness. You know, think of the old hymn. uh, Now I can't think of the title. Okay, ah, Rock of Ages, that's it. You know, when you get over 50, it just, uh, you know, Rock of Ages, it says, no, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. But oftentimes that's not how we pray, is it? We'll, we'll, we'll come before God and we think, well, surely I have to do something. Surely I have to prove to him that, that I really, really mean it this time because I prayed these prayers before, so I need to prove it to God that I really mean it. So we begin to bargain with God. We say, Lord, if you'll only do this with me, I promise I'm gonna be a better person. I, I mean it this time. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna stop doing these bad things I've been doing, I'm gonna start doing the good things I'm doing, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm, I'm gonna even work with the kids. I'm, Lord, I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna do it right this time. And we're bargaining with God. Notice what we're doing. We're, we're pleading with God, not on the basis of his mercy, not on the basis of who he is, we're pleading with God on the basis of who we are and what we're doing. See, that is not a Christian prayer. Not only is that not a Christian prayer, it's an anti-Christ prayer. It's an anti-Christian prayer. Because when you pray on the basis of your works, you're praying a prayer of humanism. You're not praying a prayer of the gospel. We're, not, we're saying, Lord, bless me because of what I have done or what I will do, and that's workspace religion. That is not Christianity. Daniel prays a gospel-based prayer. He prays a gospel-based prayer. He, he comes before God and he says, Lord, we do not deserve this at all. It is not because of what we have done or what we will do. In fact, Lord, you are completely righteous, he says in verse 16, in punishing us. You did the right thing in punishing us. And now, Lord, I'm asking you to, to be merciful to us not because of what we have done, but because of, what, of who you are. As one writer put it, in the Christ life, nothing, nothing at all can be purchased in the do-it-yourself shop. So we come before God, as Daniel does, seeking that restoration of relationship, not bringing our good works before him, but seeking his mercy alone based on the work of Christ alone. As Christians, we come recognizing that Jesus has suffered the penalties of our covenant breaking. And because we are in Christ, we can receive the blessings of his covenant keeping. 
So, so in prayer, we're, not, we're praying not simply to get God to do what we want. In prayer, we're seeking that restoration of relationship. And it's, it's the same way you think about in many of your conversations. Most of your conversations in marriage are not about persuading your spouse to do what you want. If that is most of your conversations, we have a marriage conference Friday night, Saturday, that you need to come to. Now, most of your conversations, oftentimes, it's about not a lot of anything, but it's simply about enjoying that relationship. And that's what we see in Daniel. He's praying and pleading for the restoration of relationship. So first and foremost, prayer is relational. But not only is prayer relational, secondly, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Now, as we mentioned, Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah. And in this prophecy that Daniel is reading, Jeremiah says uh, that, in fact, he says in 29 verse 10, God says that after 70 years, he will bring Israel back to their homeland. Daniel's been there for over 60 years. means the captivity's almost over. However, nothing seems to be changing. It, it doesn't look any different. That The Jews cannot fight their way out. They're powerless. They're, they're essentially slaves. They're living in the ghettos there of, of what was Babylon, now part of the Persian Empire. They have no power, no influence. And so why would the Persians let them go home? Doesn't seem to be any hope. Uh, so Daniel prays and asks God to restore Israel, to deliver Israel from the exile. Now, this raises a question. If God has already said that the exile will only last 70 years, what chance is there that it will not last only 70 years? In other words, what chance is there that the exile will go on indefinitely? What chance is there, if God has said the exile is only going to be 70 years, what chance is there that, that that's not going to happen? Zero. God has already declared the exile is only going to last 70 years. That is what's going to happen. It is predetermined. It has been prophesied by God. It has been planned by God. It has been predestined by God. It can only last 70 years. Now, if that is true, then why does Daniel need to pray for an end to the exile? Why does, why does Daniel, instead of praying, say, hey, everybody, I've got great news. Pack your bags. Some of you are going to be headed home real soon. He doesn't do that. He prays for the end of the exile. Now, why does he need to pray if God's already said he, he's going to do this? And, um, and you know, after all, you know, whatever God decrees to happen will happen. Consider this verse, these verses from Isaiah 46. God says this, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east and the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.11 that God works all things according to his own plan, his own purposes. Isaiah 46 says whatever God plans and he purposes, he will do. And so God always accomplishes his plans and his purposes. He will, so if God said that this exile is only going to last 70 years, then it definitely will happen. So again, why does Daniel pray? Well, just as the Bible teaches that God is in control of all things 
and has planned all things, and his plan is always accomplished. The Bible also teaches that God accomplishes his plan through the prayers of his people. God works through means. God works through agency. For example, when we look at the the whole idea that God saves people, and we read in Ephesians again that God has has chosen some for salvation. That means me, before I was born, Ephesians says. God had chosen me to be one of his children. Still someone had to share the gospel with me. God didn't do that himself. He works through human agency. And one of the ways he works is through prayer. Prayer accomplishes his purposes. Look at the the book of James, uh, some passages we're going to look at later this year. James 5.16, God says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And get this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, work, as it is working. So James, word of God, God says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. It actually does things. It works. Now you may be thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in danger because I'm not a righteous person. That is true. In and of yourself, you're not. But if you are in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are. In Christ, you're righteous. In Christ, you're holy. In Christ, you're blameless. And so that means, because you have the righteousness of Christ, that your prayers are powerful and effective. And so so James teaches that God accomplishes his purpose through prayer. So here, God says uh, that prayer does things. So we have these twin truths. God has ordained whatever comes to pass, and prayer works. And what we learn from this prayer is that one of the means that God uses to accomplish his purposes is our prayers. Uh, God, just as he uses our evangelism and our service and our giving, God uses our prayers. Jesus taught this. Now, think about the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then we pray what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what are the chances that Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, will not come? Zero. God's kingdom is going to come. It is going to happen. One day, God is going to fix this broken world. There'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more disease, no more injustice, no more racial violence, no more mass shootings, no more, I mean, he's going to fix this place and make it all right. That is definitely going to happen. And yet, even though it's definitely going to happen, Jesus says, we should pray that it should happen because God uses our prayers to bring about his purposes. Now, we see this in in a very dramatic fashion in Daniel's prayer in the next chapter. Daniel chapter 10 is a I don't know how to put it. It's a bizarre chapter. You'll have to read it for yourself later on. It's, 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 it's lots of stuff that's going on. But in that chapter, what God does is he opens up the curtain to heaven so that we can see what's going on in the heavenly realm while we're down here on earth. It, it's, it, you know, we are, um, we are naturally bound into time and space. And so we, we see, we, we, um, we see those things and know about those things that appeal to our senses. And so we, we see a physical world. We live life under the sun, so to speak. But, but as Christians, we know 
that there's more to this world than what we can currently see, taste, smell, and touch. There's a spiritual reality. But what happens is we often go through our lives and we live as if there is no spiritual reality out there. When Daniel chapter 10, God pulls back the curtain and he says, I want to show you what's going on in the heavenlies while you're down here on earth. And it's an amazing picture. So what's happening is that Daniel uh, is there and he's been praying and fasting for, for I believe about three weeks. And as he's been praying there, it's you know, this really intense time of prayer and fasting. By the way, if you want to know what fasting's all about, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. And so we'll talk about fasting, so come back for that. But uh, during this time, uh, as he's fasting, God opens up the curtain, and we see this, this struggle that is going on while Daniel's praying. There's this one angel uh, called Daniel's prince. He is a, an angel who's there to protect Daniel and the people of God. And this angel is seeking to come to Daniel but he's being uh, obstructed by this other spiritual power called the Prince of Persia, which is an anti-God spirit, a, a demon of sorts. And the two beings are fighting. However, in the, in the end, Daniel's angel wins the battle over the Prince of Persia. Now, what's fascinating about this is that the angel implies in chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, that Daniel, through his prayers, participated in the battle. Uh, that is, that Daniel's prayers were part of what was able to bring about a successful resolution to that conflict. It's, it's because Daniel prayed that that angel was to come. Now, while Daniel's praying and fasting, he doesn't see any of that, right? He doesn't know what's going on in the heavenlies. All he's doing is praying and he's fasting before God. But because he's praying and fasting, the spiritual battle is taking place. So we don't know what's going on in that spiritual realm. And when we pray, we're entering into that spiritual battle. We don't see what's going on in the heavenlies. We just pray. But when we pray, we enter the battle. And when we, what we pray on earth affects what's happening in the heavenlies, which in turn impacts what's happening here on earth. And, and, and so what we do is we're praying by faith. We can't see it all, but there is a spiritual world that's out there. Brian Chapel who, by the way, did I mention is coming this Friday night? Well, Brian, uh, in his great and helpful book on Daniel, says this. He says, when we enter into the quiet closet to pray, even though our prayers may be sweet and gentle, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. As we pray, a battle rages between the forces of good and evil. As we pray quietly, a conflict rages overhead. In the material world, all may seem calm, but as we pray, the spiritual world becomes like the storming of Normandy. Prayer, then, is not a passive or a meaningless activity. Prayer is the most powerful weapon at our disposal. With his prayers, Daniel affects the course of nations. Our prayers can have the same impact. See, because we don't see the spiritual world. When I'm praying, I think, you know, sometimes I think I'm just talking to myself. I mean, I, I was out of my, you know, just my back patio the other day, and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm praying as I always do, and I'm going through my prayer cards and praying for different things, and sometimes I just feel like, you know, is this doing anything? I mean, you know, is, is this matter? Because I'm looking out, and the world looks just the same to me right now. I'm not seeing anything happening. But the world is not all that you see. Don't we realize this? The world is not simply a material world. There's a spiritual reality. 
And in our prayer, we're engaging in that spiritual battle. And so here is where we pray by faith. We don't pray by our feelings. We don't pray merely by what we see. Uh, We pray by faith. We pray by faith, believing that God speaks the truth when he speaks his word. And when he speaks the truth, then he says that there's a spiritual world, and we pray we're engaging in that spiritual world. We pray by faith, and we pray uh, realizing that even though we can't see what's behind the veil now, something is going on, and we can engage in the battle through our prayer. So instead of praying by our momentary fickle feelings, we, we dive in and we pray. There's been so many times, so many times when we'll quit and we'll pray because it, because it just doesn't seem like it's doing anything. When, when you get to that point, which I imagine is pretty regular for many, for many of us, don't don't quit. Pray what you believe. Pray by faith. Do you believe God is real? Do you believe the spiritual reality world is real? Do you believe the word of God is true when he says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective? Do you believe that? Then, then don't give in to your momentary feelings, but pray. We live in a, in a world that is so terribly broken, so terribly broken, I mean, I mean, how many more shootings do we have to hear about on a weekly basis? How many, how many more times do you have to sit down with a friend and hear about a marriage that is falling apart? How often do you have to sit down and hear about someone who's being struck down by disease? How often do you have to hear about someone's children who are wandering from the faith or, or the damage that people are doing? And you sit there and you feel like, I'm helpless. What can I do? I mean, people come into my office and they tell me their problems. And, and I'm, you know, sometimes I used to, when I was younger, I felt like I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to have the answers. Now that I'm older, I realize I don't have any idea what you're supposed to do. I, but I can do this. I can pray for you. And my prayer is far more valuable than my advice. Trust me, right? I mean, you, know, you think about raising your children, and, and your children go off. We just took our third uh, child off to college for a third year of college. And you're going, out of my hands. I have no control what's going to happen. Why do I think my children are better off with my presence than they are with my prayers? My daughter needs my prayers more than she needs my presence. My prayers will do more for her than any of my words ever would do. My, and the same thing for your children and for your grandchildren and for our city. If we want to see people's lives being changed, then we must appeal to a sovereign God who can do that. And our prayers, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So let me take a moment and to lead us in a season of prayer. As we enter that battle, as we go to war even now, knowing that God will work in our prayers to accomplish great things. So join me as I pray for our city and for our world. Our Lord, like Daniel, we come before you and we recognize that we are sinful people. We are people who have broken your covenant. We have have not loved you as we ought. We have been unfaithful to you. And Lord, we do not deserve your love. And so, Father, you would be completely righteous in abandoning us. But, oh Lord... As Daniel has showed us, we are the people who've been called by your name because we who are in Christ belong to you. 
And so we plead with you, not on the basis of our righteousness, but we plead with you on the basis of your mercy. We plead with you because Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, has taken the punishment on our behalf. He has suffered the exile. He was uh, condemned to hell, to judgment, so that we might receive the, the joy of being children of God, adopted into your family, loved and treasured by you. And based on Jesus and what he has done, in his name alone, we come before you and we plead, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we plead for our church. I think of the prayer we prayed even moments ago. We long to long for your kingdom. Father, we can't even get our hearts to long for the right thing. So, oh Lord, we pray, may we be a people who are sold out for the kingdom of God. May we long to see your name be made great even more than we long to see our name be made great. May we treasure your fame and your glory more than we treasure our comfort and our peace. Father, we pray for our city here of Colorado Springs. As we drive through the city, we are reminded again and again of its brokenness. Uh, we, we see the, the homelessness. We see the, the brokenness of systems that are meant to help. We see how our people are kept in poverty how people are kept in bondage to addictions. We see how people are, are even being enslaved by their treasures, thinking that they can find a, a, a moment of, uh, of glory through recreation, through pleasure, through riches. Oh, Lord, we pray, may we be a faithful witness in the city. May we love our neighbor. May we love those who are different from us. May we love those who struggle with sins that are different from those we struggle with. Father, sometimes we in our self-righteousness are so turned off by the sins of others, forgetting how off-putting and offensive our sins are before you. Lord, strip us of that self-righteousness. We pray that you'd bring about transformation. We pray, Father, for the churches of this city who proclaim the gospel, that they would grow, that they would prosper, that they would see many people come to faith in Jesus. We pray for our region and our church planting works that are going on that you'd use these new churches to reach people who do not yet know you, that your kingdom may come to their lives and they may experience your, your reign and your glory. We pray for our world, O oh Lord. We live in a dangerous place, an unsafe place, where much of the world has rejected you. We pray for those who are serving on our behalf in some of these difficult places. Think of the, the email just getting yesterday from, from Joel and Emily uh, as they are in a... Uh, in a Muslim context, we pray for Tim and Emily as they are going to be joining them in this very, very difficult place. We pray that the gospel might go out and this place that is so dark would see the light of the good news. We think of those who are serving in, in Northern Africa as well. We pray for those who uh, are serving in, in, in other places of Europe who are serving among the refugee crisis where we're seeing refugees come to faith in you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'd use these refugees who are coming to faith to revitalize the dead churches of Europe. Father, we know that one day the knowledge of you and the love of you will cover the earth as water covers the sea. We long for that day and we plead with you to bring it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship as we sing Like a River Glorious, standing as we sing.